Welcome back to Community Possibilities. Today, lovely Dylan joins me on the podcast. She is the CEO of Joe Debbie Consulting, a consulting firm partnering with philanthropies, nonprofits, and businesses globally to create positive social change. And isn't that what this podcast is all about? I am so grateful to my colleague and my friend Kathleen Sullivan for introducing us. Kathleen actually has the highest downloaded episode of my podcast, so I'm going to link that in the show notes. But back to Lovely. She has worked with so many great foundations, including the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Carter Center. She's done so many amazing things. You're going to really enjoy hearing about her career trajectory. The thing that Kathleen and Lovely have in common is that they were both practicing attorneys. So I always think that's really interesting. So Lovely's going to talk about how she, or why rather, she made that uh, that shift from a practicing attorney to the work she does really in strategic leadership with organizations. So Lovely is Lovely. You're going to learn so much about strategy, about having a social impact and the way she works. She's also the co-author of the book, Visionary Evaluation for a Sustainable, Equitable Future. And with Sarah Vaca, she wrote an article called Refining Theories of Change that no joke has like 15,000 downloads. Crazy. Uh, Lovely has... uh, a few years ago, rather, moved into the Atlanta area, which makes me super happy. So she is um, a daughter, a visionary, an attorney, a strategic thinker, so many things. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Before we dive in, I want to remind you that I have an updated resource page. I invite you to go take a look. We have a new revised Uh, evaluation capacity tool that you might be interested in, more things coming in the future. So be sure and go on over to the website, communityevaluationsolutions.com and check out all the, the good resources that we have over there for you. And now let's join the conversation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Community Possibilities. I'm so excited to have my new friend, Lovely Dylan, with me today. Hey, Lovely. Hey, Anne. We have been chatting and chatting and I figured, oh my God, we're 20 minutes in. I'm taking up so much of her time. We probably ought to hit record. <laughs> well, anybody who knows Anne knows that she goes deep and why she's got so much knowledge and great spirit. And it's really such a privilege to be with you here well, today. Thank you so much. And I'm so grateful uh, to our friend, uh, Kathleen Sullivan, for introducing yeah. us. She uh, She's like, oh, you got you to gotta meet Lovely. She's in Atlanta now. And um, we were able to have dinner a couple of months ago. And we, uh, true, true to form, we absolutely uh, connected. And uh, I think I told you, I'll tell you um, for the for listeners, I think I've said this before, that Kathleen has the most downloaded podcast. Yeah. I have no doubt she's brilliant and interesting and funny. And what the heck? She's like, oh, no, you don't want to talk to me. I'm like, no, I really do. Uh, but (laughs) But I think people are really interested in advocacy and all the things and you guys uh, work together. So maybe we can talk about that. But before we 
before I chatter myself to death, let me just uh, give you space to introduce yourself to uh, our audience. And I always uh, tell people, um, don't read me your Vita. Tell me who you can, you know, how you came to be who you are. Yeah, I love that. Well, just since Kathleen is sort of the connector of the two of us, although I've heard about you for years and always wanted to meet you and and love your work. Um, You know, uh, Kathleen and I are both lawyers. And uh, in law school, I actually focused in on a couple of areas. And one of the areas was critical race theory. And we always start with stories. So I love that that's the way you want to start as well. And my story is I was born in India. Um, My parents were actually refugees um, from what is now Pakistan into what is now India. And then my father came to the United States to get his PhD and then brought us over. So I was five when I came to the US and we were raised in the deep South. My father spent his entire life at Florida A&M University where he researched and wrote uh, on sociology and in particular on rural community development and uh, being at an HBCU, dealing with issues of race and of class. I mean, that's how my real excitement about law and about social change uh, sort of came into me at a very young age. So my life was, uh, you know, my story is just really my heart always being in social change Mm -hmm. with my father's sort of intellectual side and my mother's very spiritual side. It was always like two basic values, you know, equality of everyone and service to others. Well, that is uh, a beautiful legacy they have uh, left you with. I got to ask you, how the heck did you get to be move from being an attorney to the work you do now? I mean, yeah. I, that was the question I think I asked, but you're what, right? Yeah. Because I met you all yeah. in the evaluation space. Right. So how did, how did that happen? Yeah, it's a couple of different ways. Uh, the first thing is, you know, I've, I've done all sorts of, and I love my legal career, and I've done all sorts of uh, legal work. I uh, initially worked at a global law firm and really loved it intellectually, um, did a lot of pro bono work, but definitely was there for the imprimatur of success because it's important as a woman, as a woman of color, um, and especially in an area like law to really have those uh, backgrounds. And frankly, you know, a lot of public interest firms don't have the privilege and luxury of training young lawyers in the way that they might like. Um, and then I worked in, in uh, leading a California-wide or minority-focused, civil rights-focused organization, the California Minority Council Program, which was working to create equity in the practice of law. And then I prosecuted hate crimes and domestic violence in San Francisco for the city and county of San Fran. And then I was leading a national legal services nonprofit that was focusing on trying to include um, what we call low bono. So uh, a way in which we could provide affordable legal services by creating a national network and especially regional networks of uh, of community-based lawyers. And when I was running that, Anne, uh, I Open Society Foundation had started the organization. And when I came in um, as their uh, executive director, 
uh, Open Society Foundation said that, you know, they were going to start sundowning as many foundations do that particular program. And they introduced me to another person who happened to be Darren Walker. And Darren, who's now the head of uh, the Ford Foundation, was at that time a vice president. And I apologize. You know how we are in the South. We just go on and on. I'll, I'll make this order in a minute. But this born and bred, guilty. Right? You know, you know. Um, it's another wonderful thing that Ann and I share. But um, but I will get to the point very quickly because, but it's just important context. So Darren had said to me that when he was at Rockefeller and he said, you know, we just don't fund this type of work. Um, and I said, okay, that's great. But, and thank you for being straightforward because you know one no is worth a thousand maybes. And so that mm. was super helpful. And I said, would you mind being just an informal mentor to me from time to time? And he said, absolutely. And one of the first pieces of advice he gave me was make sure that you are finding someone externally that looks at whether you're actually delivering impact. Mm. And that always stood with me. Now, even when I was at the DA's office, I was always very careful about bias. So I had even tracked all of my plea agreements or my trials to make sure that I wasn't being you know, unfair in any way or as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we had received at this national organization, the Law School Consortium Project, unbelievable um, metrics. And we also were winning the ABA award for innovation in legal access. We were on CNN and the New York Times and blah, 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 but we could not raise funds. And I know that so many of your audience members are in social change fields and they know that struggle where you're really trying to create change in the world and you have a great impactful idea but you might not be able to get funding for it. Those are hard things to deal with, but they're real things that we have to. Mm -hmm. At that same time, I, out of the blue, and again, just because this is part of the reality of life too, uh, got stage two breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't run in my family. I was a pescatarian, super healthy, worked out. And it was a fluke and I got it and it really made me sit back and think about life in a way I never had before. And it was in many ways a real blessing. And it made me think about here's law, which I've always loved, but I'm not able to move the field, the sector, create change and impact at the level in which I had hoped my life would be able to. And that's when I really started thinking about wanting to go where resources were. And uh, a seam of the universe opened up and the Gates Foundation recruited me to lead their strategy management and evaluation team for advocacy and policy across the United States. And that's how I really got into evaluation. That's a big seam. That's, yeah. that's not a little seam. And I don't know, it's my spiritual belief that we're all called for a purpose. We're all called yeah. for a reason. Mm -hmm. Those things don't happen accidentally yes. yeah. at all. Yeah. I didn't feel like it was an accident either. That's why I do feel like it was, you know, almost otherworldly in a way. And, you know, I, I do think that when you put your intention on something and you really search your heart and moreover your soul, that 
you know, things become clear. It's hard when you're dealing with challenges in life, especially as significant as life and death, but it's also where real um, blossoms of life occur. And that certainly was that for me. Although I still love law and, you know, that's what Kathleen and I are hoping to do a lot in our work is bring some of the amazing thought around um, social change from other sectors into the legal sector and legal sector's amazing work and uh, efforts into uh, some of the other sectors, including evaluation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I got it. So it sounds like you really got into law really from that gift that your father gave you about uh, equity and working in um, poor and my communities. Mama. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And your my mom. mama and her focus on like, you know, do not compromise. Remember what your role is in the world. It is to serve others as well, not just to make a bunch of money mm -hmm. and, you know, not, and, and, you know, like we really have an obligation to other people in our community. Yeah. Well, let's dig into um, your work now. And I, I love your website. It's beautiful. I'm proud you. So I'm going to try to pronounce your company's name and you can correct me, Joe Debbie. Perfect. You're really? Price. No, You're perfect. no way. <laughs> oh, Debbie. So what does that, what does that mean? What does that word mean? Yeah. Well, you can already tell I'm so family oriented. My father's name is Joe Ginder and people call him Joe for short. My mother's name is Bull Dave and people call her Dave for short or Dev. And so uh, when I was starting my own firm, which is now about, I think, eight years ago, um, I really wanted a name that honored my history. And perhaps it's from being an immigrant too, that I just wanted that feeling of lineage and why I do what I do. So uh, Joe Debbie is a combination of their names. That is the sweetest thing I think I've <laughs> ever heard. And I, I, you know, and I know you're here in the Atlanta area, partially to help you know, take care of your mom and dad, which that's right. Which that's I, right. I love. I don't have either one of my parents, so I think that's yeah. really sweet. Well, right. what a legacy they left in you, Anne. When, let's just be clear that you know we're reflections of many important people, and and uh, you know, I'm just going to say this, and I know you're in the middle of all of this, but I do want to say to to people who know you, people maybe who are new to this, that you really do create arms around. And I, I feel like when you embrace not only issues, but you embrace people and, and communities, and you really do bring forward solutions. And I, that's why I was so pleased to finally meet you and um, just really honor the work that you do and, and the legacy that your parents have created. Well, thank you so much. So fun fact, um, my parents did not want me to major in psychology. Actually, my dad <laughs> said, you're never going to make any money. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I do do a lot, a lot of mentoring and I talk to yeah. a lot of uh, kids. I talk to, you know, new and emerging evaluators all the time, uh, community yeah. consultants all the time. But I also talk to uh, that kid out of high school who's going to, I want to be yeah. a psychology major. And I remember what my father said. And he was half right. If yeah. you stop there, that's true, right? right? You got you got to commit. You got to go all the way. You got to go for where that professional level of the degree, at least in in my world, you do. Right. Um, not that you have to go to college. I know lots of people who didn't go to college and are brilliant people. But yeah, uh, you got you got to choose your major wisely. Dad was Dad was right, but yeah. he did, he didn't live to see me graduate. I went all the way. 
But anyway, let's get back to you. I want to talk about your work. So one of the things that um, that I know that you do is talk about the critical stages of development for organizations. And that's, I think, where you try to intervene. Yeah. Um, And I love what you do. You're working with foundations. You're working with folks who are really trying to do the hard work. So what kind of advice do you give them or what is your framing around what these strategic stages are? Yeah, you know, I think the first uh, the first piece of advice that I always try to offer my clients or even potential clients, frankly, is to always be very, very value driven. And it is easy when you're at those critical junctures to want to move to that next level and do whatever it takes to get there. And that doesn't mean, I don't want to say it's as intentional as that or as nefarious. It doesn't mean that. It just means that you, I think, you always have to be very, very mindful and very, very aware of of those um, tender moments of transition, right? Mm -hmm. And that you're really uh, holding the values of your organization and the um, difficulties of the people with whom you work to get to whatever transition. And that's why I think change management is super important and really making sure that we're taking the time not to just think about our vision, but also to think about all of the things that it will take to to get us there. And that is one of the, I think, uh, lenses uh, that I bring to my work and that that I I feel really proud of is I can move to that mission vision place, but also really think through that cascading impact of when you're at a stage and you're moving to some other level, like how is that gonna cascade all the way down into your culture? into your operations and operations sides often doesn't get that real influx of consideration, you know, and then how does it also, uh, you know, funnel out most importantly to the communities that you serve? What are the dangers there? And because I've had a lot of jobs, I feel like I've seen a lot of, and been in several different types of sectors and areas of work that I've seen sort of a a bit of a, a 360 of, you know, of those uh, levels of impact and some of the beauty of it and some of the challenge of it. Right. And you've worked with some biggies. You mentioned Gates, you've worked with Ford, you've yeah. worked with, um, who am I missing? Robert Wood Johnson. Robert Wood Johnson. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how, how is working with a big, huge nonprofit like that or or a foundation foundations rather or nonprofits yeah. or federal agency how are, how is how is working with them similar or 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 different i love this question i think that's such a good question you asked because when i was you know my instinct is to say like oh, well, people are people. And I do think that's true. People are people. And you can get a small team at a place like the Gates Foundation and, you know, or any of the other complex organizations. And, you know, you're really dealing with just that team. But the truth is that the organizational structure does matter. And the ability of that team, if it's in a very large organization, to create change, in maybe their processes or in even their, you know, portfolio goals 
will be somewhat different than an organization. Like some of my clients are two people organizations and um, they can move fast. They can really, you know, uh, think very uh, strategically at times about things and then make it happen very quickly. So I think there, it, the complexity does make a difference. The advantage sometimes to having that complexity is you do have a lot of resources. You do have a lot of uh, often case studies internally to draw from. You do have a lot of people and thought partnership internally too. So I think the biggest part of um, you know a real advantage is making sure that there's a lot of planning in the initial phase. And especially, I think when I'm talking to potential clients, I really wanna get to know them. Um, I wonder if you've had this issue, but I can say for me, you know, I'm often thinking, boy, I wanna grow my firm. And I, you know, if I just had five more bodies or like recently I was ill and it, I, you know, I had to put like a lot of my client work on hold for a little bit. And, uh, you know, that's a challenge, but the ability to really curate the work to what my clients' needs are, and, and honestly, not just rely on my experience, which I'm so grateful for, or, you know, just the, the way in which I try to uh, sharpen my mind all the time and make sure I'm being really attentive to that, but also my intuitive spirit, you know, really making sure that I'm listening to what's behind what's being said is it you know a structural issue is it a confidence issue is it a, a tool issue is it a skill issue is it um, a, a cultural issue right like there's so many different types of issues that are at play and i think if we can use all of us to um, really see what the issues are and to work closely with whatever type of organization that exists we can create some really good solutions and, you know, really thought partnership. Yeah. So uh, this comes to mind um, when you are at a cocktail party or dinner party or whatever, and people always ask, what do you do? They, they never ask who you are. They always ask what you do. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, how do you answer that question? I mean, I have like yeah. a phrase in my mind, so I'm just curious if what's in my mind matches how you, how, do, what do you do? Yes. Well, it depends on which like cocktail party I'm in. If it's something, somebody who's already, uh, let's say they're not in social change and they're just like, you know, somebody I meet out somewhere at some professional gathering, but not necessarily in social impact. Then I'm going to say I help organizations that are focused on social impact do what they do better by trying to eliminate obstacles for them. If I'm with somebody who's more familiar with social change, I will say I help social impact organizations articulate what they do in outcomes, measure against those outcomes, and then based on the data that they get, help them think through what strategic decisions now confront them. What do they want to do less of? What do they want to do more of? What activities might they want to adjust, but really you know, uh, uh, change their impact based on what they're learning. I could not have served that up more perfectly. <laughs> so for those of uh, those listeners who are going, what the heck is social impact? Can you help kind of unpack yeah. that a little bit? And it would be lovely, lovely if you had um, a story around 
maybe a client that you've worked with that kind of illustrates those points. Yeah. Well, uh, let me think through the client, but I'll say this, that when we're talking about social impact, you know, a lot, and, you know, every, a lot of, there are these buzzwords, evidence-based and data-driven, which I think I use some of those just now, but, you know, basically it's trying to say, are we having the most impact that we can have and what's standing in our way? Right. And it really is. In oh, my, I love, hold on. I love yeah. that question. Are we having the impact? How did you say that again? That was beautiful. Well, are are we having the impact we intend to have and what's standing in our what's way? What's standing in our way? Oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. That was no, rich. No, thank you. It's, it's good for me to sit in that for a while too. Um, you know, I think, and, you know, again, I come from, from the social justice uh, background and, and decades of work in it. It is easy to be so focused in our activities and our strategies, but we're not always focused on the change. So an organization can say, we fed 100 people a day for the last year. But what's different in those lives? You know, you're going to want to say, yeah, well, they're they're full, right? And that's that's an impact. They're healthier. That's an impact. But then what does that allow them to do, right? And in social change, I, I think that people are giving up a lot of resources to try to create social change. When we say that, we often are thinking of money. And when our sisters and brothers and philanthropy and funders and, and really amazing donors come forward and say, we want to support you or your organization or your effort or give to our church or other, you know, place of worship. Like we all, I think basic human good is we want our communities to thrive and we want people who might not have the privileges that we do to move forward. So yes, there is a lot of the common way of giving resources is financial, but then there's the life resources. They're the people who volunteer their time. They're the people who every day, in, especially in nonprofits, are there around the clock giving their life's resources. So the idea of impact is how do we make sure that the money, but also those life resources are really honored so that they go the furthest and they really are creating the change that is intended and that you and I as consultants and our sisters and brothers in this field and others who, who identify differently as well are actually able to help provide those tools, those skills to eliminate what's standing in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. And is there a, uh, a client, I, I think when you and I had dinner, you were talking about this. Uh, I don't know if, if you would call it a retreat that you were doing with an organization, not that you have to talk about that one, but yeah, um, yeah I don't know if you have an example yeah, that so, might help. Yeah. So there's a national organization that, um, that I work with, uh, and they were focused on narrative change. In fact, they were one of the first organizations focused on narrative change. And what their belief was is that if they worked with the media and both entertainment media and news media to change the perception uh, of this particular group um, that of, of people, um, 
I think it's fair to say it's it, of immigrants in America mm-hmm. that if they worked with changing the language that was used and the storylines in Hollywood, that society would start shifting in the way that they thought of people. So this organization, uh, Define American, I think it's it's fair to say, and, and Jose Antonio Vargas, who co-founded that organization, um, came out as undocumented. He was on the front uh, cover or on the front page of the New York Times Magazine as undocumented. He was a Washington Post Pulitzer Prize winner. Um, and Jose, uh, in starting this organization, you know, they they really wanted to think about um, are we, by focusing our efforts in this space, actually creating this change? And it's really hard for a lot of people in thinking about how can you figure that out? Like, we're so far away. And some change is really immediate, like we feed people and we know they're getting a nutritious meal. We can see that they come in really like haggard and somehow they feel more energetic or we see them a month later, or we know that they're safe because they're in a shelter, right? There's some of that. And then there's some of this impact that's a lot longer, like, are we changing the hearts and minds of Americans and their thoughts about um, immigrants, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that uh, impact and social impact, those are, you know, that's a particular example that's a long-term example. And then there are just some, some shorter ones like this wonderful organization out of Philly. This is a smaller nonprofit. It's called Strive, and they build community conversations so that people across their community can have challenging, difficult conversations around things like Black Lives Matter, you know, or uh, climate change. And they also mentor young kids. They create mentorship networks for kids in their local um, uh, junior high school. You know, it's it's beautiful for them to also have the tools to say, okay, what are we actually trying to change? And then how do we how do we look at measuring that so we can say, hey, we're doing really great there, not so good there. So what should we do to fix yeah. that? I, I love that. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to have um, uh, Ruth Ann Wolf from Cincinnati uh-huh. on. And she did that in her neighborhood in Cincinnati, kind of created this space where uh, people who were very different, but lived in the same neighborhood could come together. Um, and really, you know, that's why I started this podcast all along. I was so frustrated that we just, yeah. you know, yell at each other and we go in our corners and, you know, yeah, uh, and, and don't speak to each other. But, uh, so, so I hear the theme of, of change and measurement and, and we're evaluators. And I think you had a little part in a book called visionary evaluation. Yeah. We got, we got to, we got to talk a little bit of evaluation here. What is visionary evaluation? What does that mean? Yeah, visionary evaluation for a sustainable, equitable future. And so I co-authored that book with two of the most lovely, beautiful, amazing, smart, you know, heart, oriented people, uh, Beverly Parsons, who's, a, who's amazing. And I know, you know, uh, Beverly. I do. I'm actually published with her. So yeah. yay, we have that in common. She is do. lovely. Yeah. yeah, very much so. And Matt Keen, um, who's very focused on environmental issues and sustainability was with the EPA looking at evaluative aspects of their work for many years and really 
uh, also just very heart driven, as I said. And so our book really was we uh, put together this conference. Um, uh, Beverly was a president of the American Evaluation Association in 2014, and that was our theme, Visionary Evaluation for a Sustainable, Equitable Future. And the basic idea was that we've got these people that if you want to think about social change, which is what evaluation does, you know, the V in, in evaluation is all about values as opposed to just being a data scientist and just, you know, calling a lot of data, it really is around values that we have to think about how we serve the public and what sort of how social change is a part of what we do and that we have these basic principles that we talk about in the book. And, you know, I won't go over all of them, but, you know, one of the big things is to really think about what are your core values. And we submit that evaluation whenever you're looking at social change, that you should always include concepts of equity and concepts of sustainability, meaning environmental sustainability, but those are really core. But you should also think about what are your other aspects. And so whenever you're doing any work, be it as a consultant on the outside or as a program person on the inside, when you're thinking about new programs or working with new clients, that you can really be value aligned and say openly to these organizations, you know, these are the values that I bring forward, you know, and then also be really attentive to them. So one global organization that I worked with was with the victims of gender-based violence in, in war-torn countries. And so one of their values was making sure that they're, um, that we watched the language that we utilized and that also we were really consensus oriented. So it wasn't that a minority group didn't, ha didn't have voice or didn't have a real say that we really drove towards consensus. And that was a really important way that their value laid out in, in the work. So that's one of them. Another one is really looking at intersectionality and the ways in which privilege is trapped in different systems. That was a, that led to another principle, which is around systems and really thinking about systems change and not just systems from the common way that we think about it, but also looking at it as a living systems, much like you would a forest and knowing that, you know, not everything needs to survive forever. You have different cycles, you have birth, you have emergence, and you also have destruction. And there are times that in our programs, even in our work, that it might be time for things to sunset. They don't always have to be at this scale, scale, scale mode, right? And we have to be really looking at systems and looking at um, nature for for part uh, of our focus. And I think one of the big, there are two big principles that I'd especially love to share, which is the importance of really working cross sector, right? And not just being like evaluator sit over here and we do our evaluation and we just work with the individual client that comes forward, but that we really look at making sure that we're talking to one another because every sector has so much knowledge and skill and we don't do enough praxis together or work together in solving some of these issues. So if you're working on something, you know, like um, let's say like I was working on a DEI project up in Alaska, like really bringing in the environmental focus on, okay, well, how is this affecting communities that are off-road or the nat native Alaskans, right? Like how 
uh, do we work with indigenous populations across America uh, and, and other parts of the world that, that perhaps we're working at? The, uh, so in addition to that, you know, sort of concept of being cross-sector, there's another one which really is thinking about how we don't just separate our professional from our personal. And that the world is becoming so complex that um, I think, as as we say in the book, like you have to move through life with those values. You can't just afford to kind of leave them at the door, um, either your home door or your work door. Like we really need to integrate the two and think about if we're focused on equity, how do we treat the person who's serving us? Or how do we witness pain of others and make sure that we're... Um, you know, serving it in the way that we might in our professional way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really hear the, um, that theme of values come through in how you help organizations, right? When you were describing, you know, even the whole idea of social impact and how you get them to kind of unpack that, uh, to how you define your values, uh, as an evaluator, as a daughter, as, Right. All of, yeah. all of the things that really does seem to be the primary, uh, the primary driver in you. And I, I, yeah. I love that. And as you were talking about um, living values, what kind of came to my mind is um, I've said a, a couple of times recently, uh, you know, I don't want to do program evaluation anymore. And people got the idea that I was retiring. <laughs> like, no, I'm actually doing a presentation with um, Susan Wolf and uh, Jerry Lynn Peake at AEA this year. And the title of uh, our panel, is, well, the title of my talk anyway, is no more of a program evaluation for me. And oh. but basically, it's just what we're talking about. Like, if it's yeah. not if there's not an appreciation of systems change or complexity or equity, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a part of that. That to me, that's something that needs to like, that's a leaf that needs to fall off the tree. Yeah. If, if we are um, uh, feeding people, but not asking why people are living in poverty. Right. I love if, that. Yeah. if, if kids are uh, in foster care, but we're not asking why, because it's not all about abuse. Right. I don't really want to be a part of that. Right. right. I, I, so anyway, that that's, what's coming to my mind. So I, I did want to ask you about theories of change because that's a big thing. That's you are known for your yeah. work in theories of change. So, uh, and I was telling you that I had just recently, uh, uh, written a paper for a foundation and uh, on theories of change and logic models and and taking an equitable equitable approach to that and i downloaded <laughs> your article refining theories of change 15,000 downloads how is that even possible <laughs> yeah refining theories of change so it was i'm sorry it was you yeah. and sarah vaca wrote that article that's right that's yeah. right the amazing sarah vaca out of france she's Wonderful and really, you know, well known in her space for data visualization, especially. And, um, but let me pause. Is that where should I just go ahead and talk yeah, about? Well, it is because yeah. it's it really is related, uh, in yeah. my brain anyway, to the whole idea of systems change and unpacking the big stuff, yeah. right? And so, for 
people who are listening and like, what the heck is the theory of change? I'm going to let you explain it. We often talk about logic models. And when we talk about logic models, most often we're talking about a program logic model. This particular yeah. program has these kinds of resources and uh, produces these kinds of things. So the things we can count, we call those outputs. And then we have particular kinds of outcomes. We talk a lot about logic models. Uh, funders often require logic models. I've kind of been a latecomer to the theory of change camp. And right. now, now I kind of love them. So why theories of change and how does that help organizations unpack some of these big concepts that we're talking about? Right, right. You know, years ago when I was getting sort of deeper into evaluation, I, I was at ORS Impact. And that's when I got really exposed to this idea of outcomes-based mapping. And, you know, there are a lot of people that talk about theories of change and do different types of, of work. And we look at the logic models and we look at like, what does strategic planning have to do with this? And, you know, just as I was working in evaluation and in, in, in the space, and I, I really see it more as strategy from my mind. For me, I love a strategy. And that's really what, like I said, what I want to help organizations with is their strategy. Let me give you the tools so you can make the decisions, but allow you to eliminate those obstacles, right? Or, or, or you know, go even further. And, and, what I saw is that a lot of people are looking at change in different ways, and a lot of people are talking about theories of change in different ways. So Sarah and I started bonding on that. We started having a couple of sessions that were really like standing room only type of sessions, and we just saw that how confusing it was for a lot of people. So in this article, Refining um, Theories of Change in the Journal of Multidisciplinary Evaluation, uh, what we did was we first did a, a sort of search of all of what's out there on theories of change, and then we combine what we think are the basic elements of theories of change, number one. Number two, how do you make it even stronger? And then number three, how do they work with other organizational tools so that you can see what the benefits of theories of change are. To circle back to your question, then, what theories of change actually are, are there pathways to how you're going to go from what you do every day to your big vision? And it's this sense of saying, we're going to create outcomes in the short term through these activities and strategies. We expect these short term outcomes to happen. And from that, we expect these intermediate outcomes to happen. And from that, we expect these long-term outcomes to happen. And that's going to take us to our final mission. So it's really the sense of setting up like, okay, a, a, a sense of logic, but more outcomes focused and also more causally related, right? So you're, and this is where the legal part of me is so happy because I'm all about causality. What caused that to happen, right? Mm -hmm. And it's saying, okay, if we we think that if we feed these people, that they're going to be healthier. If they're healthier, they're going to be more able to get skills building workshops. If they get more skills, then they're going to be able to be hired for a job. If they get hired for a job, then they're going to have more money. If they have more stable income and more money, they'll be able to get a regular place, uh, you know, to call their home, right, or to stay in housing. So that's the way that we're going to meet our mission to end homelessness. That's one way, one theory 
Another organization may say, well, our theory is we're not going to do these direct services for people who may be homeless, but we're going to actually focus on the legislative side. So we're going to try to change policy so that people who are homeless have more affordable living spaces because it's so hard for people in metro areas to be able to afford homes. So we're going to really focus on changing policy. And another organization might say, hey, we're just going to build the homes. Like our theory is if we actually build the homes, then the people are going to be able to access the housing. If they access more housing, then they're going to be able to not be homeless. And that's the way we're going to end homelessness. Right. And then the people that volunteer provide their life resources or provide their money, whether they're organizations or individuals, going to look at these three theories and say, okay, which theory of change? do we believe in? Which one do we want to support, right? And then we have these outcomes. And then I'm going to, um, I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to pause because I'm sure you have some questions or, or better ways to direct, because I love this stuff, as you know. So I'm just going to, I go on and on, honey, and then you never know. <laughs> um, but, you know, as, as we say in the South, you get a bee in your bonnet and then you're gone. <laughs> so, but I would say that on this, you know, when you have these outcomes, that's where you can start measuring against them. Because now you said these are our short-term, intermediate, long-term outcomes. And you get to start measuring against those and really saying, okay, what's working? What's not working? If we built all of these homes and nobody's coming or not in the numbers we expected because we set these targets, then maybe there's something wrong with our homes. Maybe there's something wrong with the way in which we advertise them. Maybe there's something wrong in the communities in which we built them. And so you can really start digging in and say, well, maybe people who are homeless have other issues that they're homeless. It's not just having a space to live in, right? Like there are all sorts of ways. And that's where you start working with the people who have the skills, who are on this, you know, front lines every day, who work with people. And you start listening to the community and really talking to them about, well, you know, what is it for you? And you do that deep inquiry and you get to see where your theory of change may have some weakness because you're looking at the data and then you're, you've got the data to start focusing in on the strategy. Right. So theories of change are really strategic then. It's almost like, you know, dominoes come to mind. You know, it's like, what are the dominoes that need to fall if we're going to get to where we want that. to be? Right. That's exactly right. So I always um, I always describe uh, a theory of change as like the 40,000 foot up view, like you're in the plane and you're looking down. Yeah. It versus a logic model, which is super nitty gritty and granular. Yeah. Theories of change are more strategic. They're really explaining that the, the theory, as you said, our idea of how change is going to happen. Right. Right. I and, think it's, that's right. Mm-hmm. and it's always interesting to me um, when I'm out in communities or working with community coalitions, uh, that it in their mind it makes sense but when we try to go through a, a process like develop yeah. their theory of change they're like, oh okay maybe we're not as clear as we think right and it's really hard to sell anybody on hey join our team yes uh if you cannot articulate what it is that you're trying to do so i think theories of change are great for that 
Yeah, and I also want to say that theories of change should exist on the operational side as well. It's not just on the programmatic side. When we often think about the operations, and by operations, of course, I mean, you know, your IT, your HR, your, your um, you know, maybe buildings and facilities, your financial, like all of those things that are the engine of an organization, maybe your development department, right? That make that organization run. Like oftentimes to the extent people are thinking about, you know, data on that side or measurement or, you know, their their um, impact, they think of it in terms of KPI, how much money mm-hmm. did we raise and, you know, uh, maybe how effective are systems from like, do we have cutting, you know, do we have risk aversion in our IT systems or are people getting paid on time? But it's so much more than that. And these people are contributing to the mission too, right? And if we can also say that these people are creating good IT systems so people can do their work more effectively, so they can help, you know, create these programs. So, you know, that we don't have this real division that they're honored for the way in which they contribute to social change as well. Yeah. So uh, what's next for you, Lovely? Well, I I am really uh, interested in this operational piece because I do think there should be more integration. So that's one of the areas I've started doing operational theories of change for people to to make uh, more of a cross-sector uh, you know, kind of relationship. I, I do a lot of work in the cultural and DEI space. And because I've been in sort of, you know, DEI uh, for quite a long time, and certainly as a BIPOC woman myself, a, you know, um, a person of color myself, I I really am also interested in not just our, our vision of the society or organization we want around diversity, equity, and inclusion, but also how we create so you know cultural change within organizations. And I think that's really important. I think a lot of social change organizations are struggling with this. If you're also looking at intergenerational issues and you want to do power sharing, like what does that actually look like? You know, when we think about decision making being at different levels, like how do we make sure people have voice, but also that there's accountability, also that, you know, different parts of an organization, what does leadership even mean anymore, right? Like, you know, there's so many questions and everything is, change is happening Mm -hmm. so fast. And I really, really see it as my role uh, to be uh, hopefully a good and wise thought partner. As I get into my older age, I do think wisdom counts for something. And I always have, I always really appreciate older people in my life, but I definitely want to be a, a, a wise thought partner in addition to a skilled and experienced one, mm-hmm. you know, bringing just the ability of us all to explore these issues, not only within our organizations, not only as a consultant and a client, but really in our communities, how are we going to be the most, um, you know, how are you going to create the world we want to see? Mm-hmm. How, how can we do that every day? Yeah, exactly. Well, that leads me to this question. When you look to the future, what community possibilities do you see? Oh, and Price, I, you know, I believe in the goodness of people. I believe in the goodness of people through and through and through. And I really do believe maybe it is a brown girl, you know, raised in the deep south. 
um, where I was never fully part of any one community, but also never excluded from all. And there is something really beautiful about being able to be parts of all that allows you to see the incredible um, similarities. And I think many of us are like this. We do see the goodness in others. We do come together in, in a real sense of community. You know, I, growing up, have been around races who would do the most loving, kind things of people for other races. And I know that a lot of our, our society feels challenged right now with people being divided or looking, even in families, looking more at our differences than our love for each other. Um, and, you know, in many, many different ways. And I just believe that our community is finding its way to each other. You know, uh, one of my favorite authors is this theologian. I love religion. So I've always studied a lot of different re uh, religions. And uh, it's one of two books I took with me to law school. And it was Moral Man and Immoral Society. And Reinhold Niebuhr, who, who wrote this, said that children of a light must walk with children of the dark in order to truly be children of the light. And I feel like right now as, as a human um, population, as a country, we're, we've walked through a bit of the dark, and but we're challenged. And I, I think we're, we're finding our ways back to each other. So that's my excitement. It's my belief more than my hope. It's my belief. Yeah, I love that. Children of the light must work, walk with children of the dark. To wow. truly be children of the to light. Chil to truly be children of the light. Wow, that mm -hmm. is deep and so true. And I can see where I certainly have challenges. Like yeah. the, the opportunity, the invitation to expand my world. I, and I think that's probably true of all of us. It also makes me think of the interview I had with um, Tom Wolf. He was he is a community psychologist, a coalition expert. I don't know if you've met Tom yeah, before, yeah. but uh, we on his uh, episode when he came on, he talked about um, was, I think it's Hands Across the Village. It's a it's a movement that he was a part of mm -hmm. uh, in his area of Massachusetts, and the his little town partnered with a town in Kentucky, completely opposite of themselves. Right. Uh -huh. So they were definitely uh -huh. on the the one side of the political camp. Kentucky uh, folks were on another. And he told the story of how they like came together and got to know each other as people. Uh -huh. Nobody changed who they were voting for, yeah. but they changed. That's right. I love that. Yeah. And that's really what it is, is about connect. We, we I, and I also think I don't I don't try to go into work or even conversation with an effort to change anybody. In fact, I'll never forget when I was a, a baby lawyer and, um, you know, people would be like, oh, you're a lawyer. And then they try to debate me. And like, I don't debate others for the point of debate. I really want to learn from others. And I feel honored when people want to learn from me. So mm -hmm. yeah, I love it. It's really about coming together mm -hmm. and expanding our hearts, expanding our minds, our knowledge, and, you know, what a privilege. I mean, honestly, when I work with clients, I just feel like so much excitement because I'm about to learn about this whole new life and person and their organization and the work they do and the communities they serve. Like it's, 
it's like an adventure. I honestly feel like I'm at Disney World. I feel like I'm up on that roller coaster. I'm like, wee. Or as Jack Kerouac said, I said, wee to my soul. <laughs> like, I love that. That's the way I feel. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 We are we are very blessed and lucky for sure. Absolutely. So lovely. If people are touched by uh, our conversation, they want to get in touch with you. How can they work with you? Well, uh, certainly my website, which is Joe Devi, J-O-D-E-V-I, V is in Victor I dot org. Um, there's not a lot of lovelies in the world, lovely <laughs> Dillons. <laughs> um, but my last name is D-H-I-L-L-O-N, obviously on your website and um and and you can also just email me. My email is L Dylan, that's L-D-H. I-L-L-O-N at Debbie J-O-D-E-V-I dot org. And yeah, just drop me a line. Drop Ann's name and you automatically like, you know, that reply is going to be on fire right away. <laughs> well, I so appreciate you. I'm going to put yeah. all of your contact information and all the links to uh, the, the article we talked about, Visionary Evaluation, the book you mentioned, all of the things, because this was a really rich conversation. I'm so grateful Thanks, for Kathleen that she introduced yeah, us. That Kathleen, you got to adore her. She's amazing. <laughs> we, have right. a, we have a great community all around. And thank you for the opportunity to be here. Yeah, thank yeah. you everybody. Thanks so much for joining me on today's episode of Community Possibilities. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you would be so kind, would you please like and share this episode? Tell somebody you care about, somebody who does community work about the podcast. That would help so much. Also wanted to let you know that we have revamped the resources page on our website. So if you go to communityevaluationsolutions.com, go to our resource page, you're going to find a whole new look and a new tool, the Nonprofit Evaluation Capacity Self-Assessment designed to help your organization make informed decisions and take action to build a stronger program evaluation for your nonprofit. Uh, coming soon is a coalition capacity self-assessment, so be sure and look out for that. Thanks, everybody, and I'll see you next time.